Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Um, it's been a little while since we did one of these things. Uh, my office setup here is halfway there, although, as you can tell, the bookcase is full of books right there instead of shoes. Kind of got to readjust the spacing to get the decor back the way I want it. Uh, but yeah, we are here. Um, I have been gone. I've been traveling for like the last uh, two weeks or so. And I would just like to take you briefly through the Murphy's Law of like what was in effect my last like weekend. Or so, right. So right before I left, I really like left to get out of here about two weeks ago. So right before I left, I realized I wasn't getting all my cable channels. Right. But I was going to be gone for a fairly long time, so I ain't really think about it, whatever. But anyway, I wound up making an appointment for the cable man to come through on Friday. And so the cable man came through on Friday, and he got the cable back cracking. All right. Now, um, in the course of that, they had to take out my router and all this stuff. But he got the cable back cracking, feeling like we on a roll, right? So Saturday, I had a new TV. Got a new TV. New TV was going to be delivered on Saturday, right? So they gave me the options for the windows. There was an 11 to 2 window. There was a, like, 2 to 5 window. There was also a 6 to 9 a.m. window. I didn't even know that there were such windows but i'm like okay i can make sure that the man gets the tv here and then i can make an appointment in the afternoon for the man to install said tv and everything gonna be gravy right the problem with that six to nine window obviously is the six I ain't get up at no damn six o'clock. Like I knew that man wasn't getting there at no six o'clock, but I figured about six thirty. So you got to like be ready, you know. So I'm up by six thirty. Seven thirty come, I ain't heard nothing. Not the worst thing in the world to be awake, right? You know, find some things to do. You know what I found to do? Be mad about being awake. That was the only thing I think I could really find to do. Nine o'clock comes. Nine o'clock is the end of this window, by the way. Nine o'clock comes. Homie calls me and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Phone call. Homie calls me to tell me it's going to be another hour. We behind. My dude, I feel like you knew you was behind at eight o'clock. Like you couldn't let me know because now you coming in at that awkward. I want to go get something to eat time. But anyway, man, come drop the TV off. No biggie. He rolls out. I go handle a couple things. Now the install man, they call me. And my window's from 2 to something. And then they tell me at first that he'll be there between 2.15 and 3.45. And then they call me again. And they tell me, because I'm working off this 2.15 number, they call me and tell me again now, in fact, the man going to get there at 1.30. So now I got to cut short what I'm doing, roll back to the crib to get there for the 1.30. Why did I need to do that? And I say, why did I need to do that? Because this dude ain't get here till like 3.15. Why you give me a new window to be late on said window? So anyway, homie comes in, put TV on the wall. Now, they sent homie by himself to do this, and I understand why, because mounting the TV is honestly a one-person job, except not quite. Installing a television mount is a one-person job. Placing said television 
on said mount. That's a two-person job. And when they only send one person, who becomes person number two? Now, in theory, you can just sit there and watch the dude do it by himself, talking about, hey, I paid you to do this, except for the fact that that dude will be holding your television that you just bought. So what's that mean? Helping to do with the television, which, honestly, not the worst thing in the world until somehow with the amount that you got, homie can't quite understand like how it works and what the setup is supposed to be. So he got to pick up the TV and do like demonstrations on the shit, right? Like you got to get it to help him look. And then he don't like the way the tilt's going because it's too far. You don't like the way it's going. So he needs to stop and think about what he needs to do to work on the mount and what that means. You got to come help him pick up that TV again. And I think that we would all agree and understand that under these circumstances, picking up a television is, and make you a little nervous. Because I feel like if he drops your television, they got to pay for it. If you drop your television, you just broke it. Like, that's it. It's on you. But whatever, right? Take a couple hours, a couple hours and change. Get the TV thing figured out. Cool. And now we're getting to where I believe that, like, we get to the life lessons portion of the program, right? And the life lessons portion of the program is I realized something about myself in the course of the day. And it's not even just that I realized it about myself. It's just, it's just something that, I mean, I think I knew this before, but, like, I am not a person who is really big on like strict notions of masculinity, right? Like I don't, I don't really subscribe in that, but there are some things that I feel like as a man of a house, even if you were the only person in the house, but as a man of a house that like, I kind of feel like it's part of your duties and part of your duties is hooking up stereo, right? I don't know why I enjoy hooking up the stereo It is tedious. I don't like tedious. It is a task. I hate tasks. It requires a lot of like fine motor skills and stuff like that. Right. But for some reason, I enjoy getting on the ground, hearing my knees crack and getting like the pliers. And I'll ply things, but, you know, couldn't speak a wire. Right. Like I enjoy doing all those things and the engineer and figuring out exactly how you're going to make that work and everything. I'm not exactly sure why. I really, really enjoy it. I do, even though I fucking hate it. It's like playing golf, basically. Man, I think I shorted out my stereo, man. I don't even have, like, I got a halfway idea how I did it, but it keeps telling me to check the speaker wire. I ain't got no speaker wire in it no more, right? So I got to go take that bad boy in tomorrow, which not the worst thing in the world when you're in a city where you have a car. Like, every now and then I had these moments where I'd be like, wow, sure it would be great if I had a car, right? So I said, I got to pay somebody $20-something to drive me down to wherever the place is that I got to take the stereo because I ain't about to be sitting on the subway with a damn receiver in my lap. That would be preposterous. But anyway, after I realized that stereo shorted out, man, I look up. I got a red light on my um on my router, and I, I Google up on the phone what that means, and that means rut roll. So I had had the internet man come out here on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, 
to get some internet back crack. And you know why I had to get internet back crack? So I come kick it with y'all. I'm just telling you all that to let you know. Just about every electronics device in my house that I consider to be of some level of consequence quit. Like at one point or another, it quit. Either had to be installed, repaired, or repair is pending. Yeah. Just in case you didn't think my life was a lot like yours, boom. There it is. But anyway, I am here. Let me get a look at some of your questions, see what you guys perhaps would like to discuss uh, this evening. Because I see if somebody's asking the question. Otherwise, I will just, oh, ho, ho, ho. Here is the question that I wondered if somebody was going to ask. How was NABJ? So, National Association of Black Journalists Convention was in New Orleans. I attended the convention. I believe that that was my 10th convention, if we are willing to count the times that I snuck in rather than registering as attending the convention. Um, although one of those years I snuck in, I didn't even really sneak. I just bold face walked in that bad boy in a T-shirt. Just like, bow, walking past wherever. Like, I, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. Absolutely. Anyway, so I've come to find that over the years, people have come to enjoy uh, my recaps of my time at the convention. Now, part of what me and the convention is my convention experience changes every year because with every passing year, I've been on television for an additional year, which means that for lack of a better term, I am more famous each successive year. And guys, that's really, really annoying. It's really annoying. I don't. Okay, like I talk about this with television. I don't. I think I've said it on here, but I mean, this is like a general thing I have about like television and being somebody on television. There are two kinds of people on television. There are people who got into being on television because they wanted to be on television, and then there's people who just wind up on television. Like, there's a pretty clear distinction between the two of them, right? The people who w- got into this because they wanted to be on television. Man, they can't get enough of, like, jock riding and people just recognize them and all that stuff. They cannot get enough of it. The people who just wound up on television kind of always look at it and be like, yo, this is kind of weird, right? Now, I am squarely in the camp of people who just wound up on television. Like, it was not a destination. And so I am actually, and I think you can talk to the people who know me, like, I'm generally pretty good with like being recognized and people coming up and talking to me and stuff like that. Like in my neighborhood, it's actually really interesting because people in my neighborhood seem to be surprised that I live here. Like one guy came up to me and he was just like, yo, like you really live in the hood. I mean, it's not the hood per se, but you know what I mean? He's like, yo, you really live here. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm here. You know, like like the, the idea, the notion, the belief that I would be here, just kind of, kind of blows his mind. Like, you know, and so, you know, I stopped. I talk, tend to keep it a little brief. All these repairmen know who I am. You know, I talk to them a little bit. One dude, uh, one of the repairmen was very, very disappointed that I didn't have any inside information on Kaepernick that I could share with him. I, just, I was like, sorry, bro. If I knew, I would tell you. He's like, come on, man. You hold, like, he really, really thought that I was holding out on him. He was very offended by this. Um, 
but yeah, I'm generally all right with it. Now, what I've learned from like, I got a small sample and operating on this, but I think that it's a pretty strong hypothesis that can be tested. People are like really polite generally like on the street like some people kind of get wrapped up and kind of forget where they are and stuff like that but generally people are like polite like total strangers are pretty polite about how it goes um where people get to be jerks is if there's something that like makes them feel as though I am in like some group or we're in some like same kind of club or something like that, because then there's a different level of comfort and people just don't really be knowing how to act. Right. And, and that, that, like, like that's, that's how it goes. So like when I did something at the alma mater, there was a gala that I was being honored at and I had more people just running up on me and talking crazy to me and things there. And the reason was like, I was like, Oh, okay. We, we all Panthers, right? And so they're like, okay, well, we can just kick it like we know each other because we all Panthers. And I don't think that, like, Panther is enough of a distinction, right? I'm like, yo, man, I feel like I need to kind of chill out, man. I got, like, people, like, come stand right next to me and then, like, hand the phone to their wives and, boom, the picture is on. Like, there's no request, right? Like, once they feel like there's something that gets you under the same umbrella, like, the asking kind of goes out the window. It gets, like, way more presumptuous. Now, that's at a gala with, like, maybe a couple hundred people at it, man. I'm at this bad boy. I think there's, you know, something in the four figures of humans, and they don't all care who I am, but the ones who do, man, I feel like I need to write a manual because it was wild, man. Like, some of it was just, like, I'm really just sitting there, like, Bro, what, 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 what just like, like, how did this just go? Like, I'm talking to women and dudes is rolling up without no excuse me's. And the, you know, I hate to enter, you know, I don't mean to interrupt. Yes, you do. That is the entire point of what you're doing right now. Your full intention here is to interrupt. Now, perhaps you would prefer not to interrupt, but you have made the decision that you just gonna have to interrupt, which, you know, when dealing with a, um, no, 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 no. Especially not if like, I don't know who you are. Like, I'm not going to be real about this. Like there is, I mean, be, be dishonest about this. Like there's a certain level of like what I think we could term fame privilege, right? Like, so if you somebody and you think, you know what, Bomani would probably get a kick out of, you know, knowing that I, a person I am, you know, kind of rock with him. That's one thing, right? Hey, man, if don't nobody know who you are, man. Don't be walking up on me while I'm talking to some woman and just being like, yo, I just want to. No, no, no. Well, I mean, thank you. Like, appreciate you on the real. Polite peep game on this one, right? And if the young fella this happened to is listening, hey, man. All right, anyway, so here's what, here's what went down. So I'm at this party. Talking to a woman, right? And I'm not exactly sure what what quite happened with, you know, as I was having this conversation. But anyway, somehow this dude wound up getting my attention while I was talking to this woman. And he's like, excuse me, Mr. Jones. And he goes through his biography. And I'm like, okay. And he's so nervous, right? Like, that's the thing about it. He's so nervous. So, like, I'm developing a level of sympathy for him as this is going on. And so he's so nervous. But I'm also very annoyed, right? Like, I'm very, very annoyed because I've been dealing with this, like, all day long. Like, people bogart my conversations and everything else. 
And, you know, like I was feeling smothered at one point, man. I be my move is I run out the room as soon as the room open and then I come back. Like I need a moment to prepare for these sorts of things. So anyway, like by this point, I am very, very, very annoyed, very annoyed. But I'm letting my man rock out. Right. And he tells me a story and he tells me, well, I got a job interview tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. And I was just wondering if um, you had any advice for an up and coming sports writer. Now, generally speaking, when people are like, I think I've talked about this here before. When people are hit me, I just wondered if you have any advice. Like, what am I supposed to tell you right now? Like, all I got, the best I can give you is some, like, early bird gets the worm, you know, type shit. Like, that, like that's the best that I can give you because, like, what, what, am I, what am I giving you on the advice? So, but I understand also that people, they just grasp it, right? They just kind of want something to talk about, and this seems like the sort of thing that you would ask. Like, they don't know what to do. But this is also a party. Like, it's late at night. I'm not level. Like, like, you know, I'm off the clock right now. I'm not obligated to do this. And so, yeah, so my man asked for some advice. And so I just turned around. I just looked at him. And I stopped. Yes, it was at a party for the people asking. So I stopped. And I think about it. And I'm like, enjoy yourself tonight, man. That's what I told him. I said, enjoy yourself tonight. And my man is like, but I can't enjoy myself. I've got this job interview, right? And I'm like, look, my man, the best thing that you can do for yourself right now is to enjoy yourself. Have a good time. You know, relax. Like, that's my thinking, right? Like, get out here, relax, clear your head a little bit, you know? And that's probably the best thing that you can do. Enjoy yourself tonight. Little homie looked at me and said, Are you serious? That's what he said. He goes, Are you serious? That's what you... Ooh, boy, I'm getting tight just thinking about it. Anyway, I lost my shit. I lost it. Like, I just spazzed out. I looked at that dude, and, like, I was much taller than him. So, like, I'm bending at the waist, okay? Like, I'm bending at the waist, and I'm like, are you out here making demands on the advice? Are you fucking kidding me? And I went like this. Like, I put my hands on my head, and I just walked away. I was just. Like, that was all I could do. I just walked away. Oh, man, I was so heated. I was so heated. Like, I had gotten to a point where I had just had enough <laughs> just it just couldn't be no more it just could not 
right? So there was like this opening breakfast. And at the opening breakfast, Robert Roberts is the keynote speaker because you know everybody loves Robert Roberts, right? And so Robert Roberts is the keynote speaker. And Robert tells people, like, look, you know, these people are your peers. If there's somebody that you admire, she's like, don't be afraid, don't be timid. Walk up and talk to him. But I remember sitting there like, you talking this shit, but you're gonna leave right after this. Right, like right after you get done giving this speech, you about to roll out. And you know who's gonna be left here after you roll out? Me. That's who's gonna be left. Me. And I wasn't the only person who was going to be left. But the person who was definitely gonna be left that I knew was gonna be left. Me. So it's like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, one night, I'm in the lobby, right? I come down the elevator, walk out to where the lobby is. Some dude walks up to me, and it's like, hey, uh, Mr. Jones, man, you know, I was... You know, I was I was uh, listening, you know, to something that you had said, you know, on the Evening Jones podcast. I'm, li- I'm not lying to you. It was somewhere between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning. And my man wanted to talk to me about a podcast. It was somewhere between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning. I just looked at the dude... And I put my left arm up. And I just went like that. And I just showed him the time. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's four o'clock in the morning. We're not about to talk about no podcast. That's not what we're going to do. So there was that. Um, I imagine that some of you would uh, like me to talk about uh, Omarosa. I was not there for the Omarosa show. Uh, I was like, nope, this is going to be a clown show. I'm not even doing that. Um, So I was not there for that. Uh, Charles Barkley was on a panel that I'm actually surprised people haven't talked more about. I just don't feel like getting into it right now. But I'm like very surprised that that did not turn into a bit more of a thing. Um, Anything else is New Orleans, man. New Orleans dope. Like New Orleans is just generally all around however you want it dope. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like it's just like being there is always the win. And does anybody have an explanation for why it is that the Popeyes on Canal Street is just the greatest Popeyes in the world? It just is. And it's not like they're really doing anything particularly special with the Popeyes on Canal, but it's always maybe it's because they always got so much foot traffic. So the food just always turn over. And so you never, like, it's always right on time. It stands in stark contrast to the Popeyes that is near my place in my neighborhood where I want to start calling it Popeyes because it appears to be the worst kind of Popeyes in the world. And you know what the worst kind of Popeyes in the world is? That Popeyes that stay running out of pieces and spicy. That Popeyes has a tendency to get to the end of the night and they hit you with all we got is thighs. 
first three times I went to that Popeye's, they did not have a single spicy wing. Three times in a row, I go in there and they out of spicy wings. You know the people want spicy wings. You know this. If you out of spicy wings right now, how we got 15 minutes till the next spicy wings going to be down, be out. That don't make no sense. You know that you need to have spicy wings coming soon, always, always, always. Because what's the point of going to Popeye's and ordering mild? Anybody? I don't, I don't, I don't see why. We go to Popeye's for the spicy. That's what we do. Some of y'all like to get the dark meat at the Popeye's. I don't really blame you, except for them thighs. Thighs are like, like thighs are like, what if crawfish wasn't that good? Right? But crawfish is good. But if crawfish wasn't that good, then all the effort that you got to go through to eat crawfish, like you wind up sitting there eating crawfish forever. And you eat crawfish forever because you got to expend whatever you get back in energy from eating the crawfish. You got to expend cracking open the next one, right? And thighs are the same way. Like, I just had a thigh with dinner tonight, man. It takes so much work to, like, get, you know, it's all fatty and stuff like that. But the, the thigh, the thigh takes so much effort. So much effort. Yeah. So, anyway. They stay not having no spicy wings. Somebody here says, ask Pablo about chicken adobo. Thighs are the best meat for that. Hey, is uh, chicken adobo Mexican food? Like, I thought that was Mexican food. Is that Mexican food? And, 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 I'm, and I'm asking if that's Mexican food for a very important reason, because I feel like I can clear. Oh, it's Filipino. Just checking. I thought Pablo was Mexican when I met him, so I wasn't going to be mad at you if you thought Pablo was Mexican, but I know that there's some people out here who think that Pablo was Mexican, so I just want to let you know right now that he is not Mexican. Yeah, you got to forgive me. I'm, I'm from a place, like I gradually snapped out of it by and large, but I'm from a place where if you had a name like Pablo, um, you was Mexican. It wasn't no, you might be Mexican, you was just Mexican. Anyway, NABJ was all right. It was all right. I met Keith Boykin while I was there, by the way. Like, of all these supposed doppelgangers that I have out here, and it's normally just anybody bald and black, I do not think I look like Keith Boykin. However, I, like, saw Keith Boykin once when I was out. Like, I was looking on um, the television at the spot, and Keith Boykin was on, and I was just like, oh, I'm about to hear about this. And this is, like, before that had become a thing, and then I look at my mentions, and I'm like, yep, you, yep, yep, there it is right there. Yep, there it is. There it is. But yeah, yeah. He goes through this also, apparently. So there's that. Anyway, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. How do you feel about Bodak Yellow? All right, so this is interesting because I had seen people talking about Bodak Yellow, but I thought that, like, I mean, this is Kodak Black dude, right? And so I thought that there was like kind of some spinoff of that to that. Like I really wasn't paying no attention to it. And then I found out that this Bodak Yellow was actually a song and people seemed to really like the Bodak Yellow, but I had not heard the Bodak Yellow. So at this same party, 
where uh, the little homie wanted his advice, the Bodak Yellow comes on. The Bodak Yellow is is jamming, number one. Like, there's really no way around that. Uh, Bodak Yellow is jamming. Um, Number two, the South won. Let's just go ahead and put that out there right now. The South won. And uh, number three, here's what it is about. Here's what we got going here with Bodak Yellow. All right. And while I think it's jamming, it ain't like my jam per se. But it's jamming. You understand what I mean? But I can tell already that if it is your jam, then I am too. Every now and then a song comes out like that where you be like, oh, okay. Like, if you into that, I'm into you. You into me. Like, a lot of good things can happen from this. Like, if you're into uh, the first Lil' Kim album, chances are we can kick it. You sing every word to put it in your mouth verse at the club, chances are we can kick it. My neck, my back. While not the greatest song that's ever made, if that's what you do, we there, we right there. And please tell me that you rock with Space Age Pimp. We there. So, like, I was listening to Bodak Yellow, and I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No question here. None whatsoever. If this is what you bought, then we can be bought it together all at one time. Well, I mean, we got a good chance. We can see how it goes. But you understand what I'm saying. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Earlier today, you said, I think I may have seen everything that was important about public speaking from seeing Dick Gregory speak one time. Can you expound on that? Yes, I can. So Dick Gregory died. Um, I mean, that one's a bummer, right? And so, like, the thing about Dick Gregory is, Dick Gregory's one of these cats that you thought might live forever because Dick Gregory, like Dick Gregory, like regale you with all these things and like these benefits that come from all this like fasting and like dieting and all I'm eating right now is oranges type shit that he would be out here doing, right? Like I saw something about one of the Dick Gregory clinics or something like that being shut down and somebody said it was a con. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I certainly understand the argument behind those things being a con, but please understand. If it was a con, Dick Gregory was conned himself also because he himself was doing like all this weirdo stuff. But Dick will tell you about how he hadn't been sick and God knows how many years and all of this stuff because all these different things that he was doing with these fruits and vegetables and stuff. You know, like 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 that was Dick Gregory. So like you find out Dick Gregory died. You're like, Dick Gregory wasn't going to die. Like Dick Gregory had you believing that he had figured this out, like doing a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't willing to do. But he apparently had figured out like how to live forever. Like that was that was kind of my thought on him. 
just because of the way he kicked it. So you're like, Dick Gregory died. It's just like, no, nah, man. But Dick Gregory died. Now, I saw Dick Gregory speak, I want to say, in 2003 in uh, Claremont. Now, the thing with Dick Gregory, you got to remember, is that Dick Gregory is like not just a comedian, but Dick Gregory at one point was like the comedian, right? Like Dick Gregory was the top dog in the game at some point. And so I'm watching Dick Gregory give this talk. And, you know, he has in large part the presence of a stand-up comedian, but he's behind like a lectern. So, it's no, you know, you don't have the, pa- the, the pacing and the going back and forth. Like he's just there. And see, the brilliance of Dick Gregory is Dick Gregory knew amazingly how much to say before you pull back just a little bit, right? Like I watched him just have that audience in the palm of his hands and he gets them right there at the brink and get them good and uncomfortable just enough where they would shift and he'd push them and he'd push them and push them right to the point where you think he's about to lose them. And then he hit them with that joke. And then they chill out just a little bit. It was almost like reposting, right? Like you posted somebody up in basketball and then you got as far as you can go, you kick it back out and then back in one more time. Like that's kind of how Dick Gregory operated with audiences. It was amazing. Like when he would peak, when, you know, when he would bring it back down, the way that he would drop like the hammer on some level of information, he's out there dropping bombs too, right? Absolutely out there dropping bombs. Talking about the time that uh, I think the FBI was about to get him and it wound up being on the front page that the FBI tried to get him. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Dick Gregory was, whoo, Dick Gregory was everything. But what he demonstrated, I think, is it's her, just in terms of, like, publicly speaking, is, like, the power of your information will get you a long way. But it helps if you got some presentation, right? It really, really, really does. And he was so intense. You know, like like just the way he handled it, it the the presence of it all was so striking, where it's just the ability to know how to make people comfortable, how to make people uncomfortable, and when to do which. He was brilliant, brilliant. Like the one thing I do remember uh, him doing, this is actually like pretty hilarious. Uh, When I saw him talking at Claremont, He's talking about Clarence Thomas. It was one of those where, like, you think he's joking, but he's of that age where you can never quite be sure if he was joking about this. But he's talking about Clarence Thomas. He's like, yeah, Clarence Thomas, the way he is. And you know who I blame for this. That's right, black women. This is y'all's fault. Boy, couldn't find a date in high school, never got over it. And look what we got to do right now. Say, if you see somebody like that, tell your kids, if you see somebody like that walking around, Take that motherfucker to the prom. And I don't think I have ever laughed harder in my life. In my life. Because I think he was joking. But I also am not sure that he was wrong. I mean, I mean, I don't think that it's black women's responsibility like to save the world from Clarence Thomas. No, I don't believe that. But his rationale as to how it was that a black woman maybe could have saved the world by taking Clarence Thomas to the prom. That. I can see it. I'm not saying that's what it is, but. Maybe. Hey, man, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but uh, dudes who had trouble getting dates are out here raising hell all over the place. 
You've been watching? Anyway, rest in peace, Dick Gregory. And there, I was joking, largely. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Are people overdoing it when they criticize the condom usage on Insecure? Yeah, they're overdoing it. Yo, so like Insecure, you know, it's HBO. So like I feel like people feel obligated to a degree on HBO to like get the sex and nudity and cussing in like just because you can. Like you remember that first uh, that promo for the Bill Simmons show when it came on? And you're talking about them billionaires should pay for their own fucking stadiums. It's just like, okay, because you can Right, like that's what we're doing because we can't. I mean, that that HBO has a way of bringing that out of people. But anyway, uh, insecure. They be having a whole lot of sex scenes, and like no one is ever explicitly using a condom. And I'm just asking you, how many? Like, where are all these shows you're watching with all this explicit condom use? Because that's never been the case on television, ever. Right? Like, you will have shows that'll do it, right? Like, The Wire, I can remember, like, coming up there, and it'll be, like, part of, like, a, you know, that can be weaved into a storyline or whatever. But, like, show me the shows that just have all this, like, explicit use of condoms. Now, part of this, I think, that's interesting is the level of realism that people have kind of come to demand from television shows and movies, right? Or and also kind of the way that we we view these things like through a much more surgical like sort of eye where even I'm watching it and I'm like, OK, so maybe the fact that no condoms used here is going to be like part of a storyline. Now, someone says here it became an issue when Lawrence went with the threesome. No, this was an issue before that. People have been talking about this since Lawrence just showed up at her crib that night. Yeah, no, like I'm just I mean. What are we going for here? I don't quite, I, I don't, I don't. Again, this is a television show that people use to project their own lives onto the screen. And I feel like this is then used to allow people to like to cast a level of judgment here. Because one thing that we love to do is cast judgment on the sex lives of others, whether we discuss the frequency of their sex lives or like how exactly it is that they go about having said sex. So maybe that's it. But yeah, I do. I'm like, okay, you guys are like, I'm not sure this is that big a deal. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Do you ever struggle having pride and being from the South when the term Southern pride is often associated with having pride in the Confederacy. Well, that depends on what you mean by struggle. And the reason I say that is like, no, I don't struggle with having a pride in where I am from because it is where I am from. Like my cultural grounding and sensibilities come from being southern that's what it is right and i'm good with that now i also admit that like part of being proud of being southern has a lot to do with like a certain level of defensiveness just because people have a tendency to look at southerners as being backwards and all this other stuff right but 
I don't struggle with Southern pride being associated with pride to Confederacy. I don't like struggle is not the way to put it. I have a frustration with the general mainstream notion that what it is to be Southern is a decidedly white Southern experience. And given the segregation levels of things in the South in so many ways, once you do that, you are erasing the existence of in some of these states, 40% of the people, 30% of the people, 20% of the people, you are acting like those people are not there. Like when you say that being Southern is wearing seersucker suits, who out here wearing seersucker suits, man? Right, who's doing that? You know, you talk about being Southern, it's like tailgating or it's like at these SEC. Who are you talking about right now? Like you're not talking about everybody, man. You're talking about white folks. Like that's it. And that does bother me that the notion of being Southern is really viewed entirely through this lens of whiteness especially as black Southerners have, you know, aside from driving the economy in various ways at various points, we have driven so much of the culture of the United States from here, right? From the South. We have pushed this in so many ways. Popular music in the United States, like all those significant, other than like hip hop, you know, soul, gospel, jazz, blues, all this, man, it's black people in the South that's pushing this. Like, that's where this all comes from. And you're going to act like we're not here? Like, do you realize what you are taking away from, like, the notion of the South by eliminating the black contributions that only talk about stuff that white folks do? You realize how much better it is when you act like we're here? Like, do you realize how much better the South looks when you act like we in it? So that bothers me. But I don't struggle with that. Now, I think this question is being asked, like, you know, in conjunction with, the whole thing is Charlottesville. And I guess I'll make a transition into another question so that I can like clip this and then send it out. And then more people will be like inclined to jump in here and uh, listen to it. But my man here says, do you think the events in Charlottesville are an outlier or a start in the new tr- of a new trend. And I don't really understand like what exactly you mean by the events in Charlottesville and like what part are we talking about as outlier and trend? Like that's way too broad. Here's what I think about Charlottesville. And this is so I think it goes into a larger thing about Trump where people are saying that Trump as president has emboldened these people to kick it like this. And I mean, I think that there's something to that, but I don't. I think that Trump as president has done that to a degree, but I don't know how much of that actually has to do with Trump. What it seems to have happened with the election of Trump is I think a lot of these cats found out there's more of them around than they realized. Like I hear these guys, like I was watching the Vice documentary and that dude was like, yo, these guys are just now realizing, you know, how much power they have. And, Yo, he's not wrong. Like, one thing about these guys is they be saying some crazy stuff. Like, I listen to Richard Spencer, and I'm like, okay, so not everything he's saying is factually incorrect. You know, like, it's a very self-serving agenda that he has, but it's not entirely based on insanity. Like, a lot of these cats are out here on some crazy. But I think what's happened is these dudes have looked up and realized that it's more of them than they thought because it seems to be, like, a largely Internet-driven phenomenon. Right. So it's a lot of people who are by themselves and they're going to these places where it feels like it's a bunch of people, but you don't really know. And now they turn it out and they see in this and they realize, yo, man, it's more of them. It is more of them. And they got more folks that's been laying out on the sneak and they didn't realize who those folks were. And they out here putting their faces on it. Right. Like so 
this is where we are. I don't think that Charlottesville can be considered an outlier necessarily. Now, I think somebody like driving a car into a crowd, yeah, I think that's probably, that's not going to happen at all of these things. But, oh, no, 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 these cats are here now. They're here. Now, you know, they're going to have rallies, and I think we're going to think about it like entirely in the context of these rallies, but it's going to be bigger than that. It's absolutely going to be bigger than just some, than some rallies. I mean, other things there are going to happen. Like, yo, what's happened is I had a friend of mine who called me and he apologized. He didn't need to apologize. But he always thought that I was kind of cynical about, like, how serious the race issue was in the United States. And he said that what this has done, though, for him is shown, like, the fact that we can't universally stand to be like, yo, this Nazi thing ain't cracking. Let him know, like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is bigger than he thought. This is much more of a thing than he thought it was. And so what's happening here is there's not much middle ground left. And people, I think, are going to expose what side of these things that they are on because I just don't think that there's much of a middle ground left. Now, I take that to get to the other question my man had about being Southern. I think he's both asked by the same person. Here's the biggest thing I'm learning about this as it goes on with these Confederate monuments and everything else and as they take them down. Uh, my man Ryan, in fact, I'll go to his question on this because I think he just made he made a serious mistake. Um, in evaluating this, though I don't blame him, is where he says, why is Southern pride so much more intense than Northern slash Yankee pride? Well, number one, by a certain measure, is because nobody really attacks you for being from the North. So we have to be proud in a way that is almost a defense and in defense. It's like the notion of black pride. It's not terribly dissimilar. But do not ever get this twisted and start thinking that this stuff about these Confederate monuments has a damn thing to do with being Southern. Do not. There may have been a point where that was the case. But what I think we're learning more than anything else as this goes on is that these Confederate monuments are nothing about Southern pride and everything about whiteness. It is not about region at all. Like thinking about now, you can say it was the daughters of the Confederate Revolution or whoever they were, uh, the Confederate people, Confederate veterans, whoever they are. They put these statues up in a whole lot of places, right? Like they commissioned them and they threw them up in a whole lot of places, right? Like there's a Jefferson Davis monument in Arizona, uh, for example, they're taking out a Robert. There's like a Robert E. Lee monument in Brooklyn. Um, I saw something about like there's all kinds of places where these Confederate monuments are. Most of those places don't really have or a lot of them rather don't have anything to do with the South or didn't have any really t- any real tie of consequence to the Confederacy. Right. They didn't. So who got a problem with taking them down? Right. So let's stop and think about this for a second. If you live in somewhere up north and you see they taking down Confederate statues in the south, why do you care? Right. Like, why does that bother you? Why is that something that you got any level of concern for if that's what they're doing? The only reason to be concerned is this is a shot at white. And and by the way, at the most extreme version of toxic whiteness is the Confederacy, at least in in the construct of the United States. Right. Within that within that confines, within that that analytical plane. It is no more toxically white than the Confederacy. And what you're saying, basically, if you are opposed to taking these statues down, is that every expression of whiteness is one that must be protected. That's it. Because ain't a damn one of them trying to talk about here and, like, build no Nat Turner statue nowhere. The John Brown Monument. Ain't nobody really talking about that one, are they? Are they? Right? And John Brown becomes a very interesting, like, counterexample, right? Now, you know, they've got the they've got the historical site at Harpers Ferry. I've been to that, right? Like, I don't want to pretend like that doesn't exist. But 
Yo, ain't nobody talking about paying no homage to John Brown. John Brown, John Brown went like on some Pablo Escobar and took on the United States government in the name of slavery and elimination, by the way. Right? Also, while West Virginia was still in the state of Virginia. Now, how many of them Confederate folk got any respect for John Brown? Right? His enemy was their enemy, kind of. Right? How many of them got that respect for John Brown? They don't, man. This is about whiteness. That's it. That's what this comes down to is the protection of whiteness. These folks that was coming down to Charlottesville, go look at where they were from. And go look at how many of them came from out of town. They ain't got no attachment to the South. They got no more attachment to the South than Dylan Roof had an attachment to Rhodesia because he had that patch on his jacket. That wasn't about Africa. That wasn't about Zimbabwe. That was about white. That's it. That's what that was. And so when Trump comes out and he sends the tweet talking about our beautiful Confederate monuments, and he says, our, who is he talking about? He's not Southern. He's talking about white. That's it. He's talking about white. And never in the United States has there ever been a clearer attempt to assert the dominance of whiteness than the Confederacy? And in all these places, these Confederate statues were put up to assert not the, to assert the dominance of whiteness. It isn't about commemorating the history of the South. It's about whiteness. And stop and take a moment to consider what it means when these jokers freak out about these statues. Like, that's all these statues. What level of progress are these folks going to be willing to give on, to listen to, to compromise on, if they can't even give up some statues? That's it. And you still got a whole lot of politicians who got to play to see both sides part of the game. And why they both why they got to play to see both sides part of the game? Because there's a whole lot of people that are not here for any give on this whiteness. And that's the worrisome part. Like, the people that's getting out here in the streets and driving cars in the crowds and stuff, they're, yeah, that's a problem. Don't get me wrong. Like, that, that, that makes you worry. But the real worrisome part is how many people aren't willing to go far enough to march in the street on the issue, but are sitting over here being like, yeah, but, I mean, white. And there's a whole lot of people that feel that way and don't realize that they do. Like, I don't think they think about it in that way. They don't consider it as such. But this is just purely a defense of whiteness. And look, I'm not telling you anything crazy. These dudes that are coming down to march behind this, they're telling you that. Like, they're saying that. 
So don't put this on the South. This isn't really just about that, right? The South has the South has always existed with a different existential threat to whiteness, where the threat to whiteness is all these black people. I've said this before. I will say it again. You want to make Colorado like Mississippi? Make Colorado 35% black. You want to make Minnesota like Mississippi? Make it 35% black. You want to make New York like Mississippi? Make it 35% black. There's a completely different threat that comes from what it was the case for a lot of these places in the South right around emancipation, which is real political power for black people because there were so many black people before the Great Migration coming around. Yo, it was a bunch of us, enough to sway some things. And so to maintain the power of whiteness, what had to happen? Civil rights movement comes around. What do we see? The reassertion of whiteness. And as people ask for these things to come down, what showed up to defend it? Whiteness. That's what it is. Now, what I feel like white people need to stop and take a moment to consider is, as you say this history, all this stuff, and da-da-da, this is what I want you to think about. These cats that are coming down here on this kick behind these statues and stuff in the name of this assertion of whiteness, like, are you not offended by the fact that these jokers believe that this hatefulness that is behind these Confederate statues is the way the whiteness should be defined? Like, are you not offended by that? Because that's what they're saying about you. Right? They're saying, that, like, fundamental to who you are is this hatred. Like, these cats are going beyond, like, whatever they got to say about me. They're really saying this about you. And a lot of them, by the way, do it in very sober terms that when you read them, don't sound entirely wrong. Just in terms of their perceptions of how like other white people feel about the rest of us. They're not all like you read it and you're like, yeah, this doesn't sound so crazy as I like to think. But anyway, that's what they're saying about you. Like, this ain't my show and prove moment. This is y'all's. This is on you. Because I would like to think that you, like, if you want to assert what whiteness is in that way, what other ways can it be done? Because these cats are fighting for the most extreme assertion of whiteness. If that to them is what whiteness is. So you can defend their right to say it, right? Or defend their right to feel it at the very least. But if you don't condemn the approach, I do have to wonder why that is. Yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this about once a week. I've been traveling a lot. I think we got more opportunities to get this done now, though. Uh, My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Dude, Lance such a G, man. Lance over at Brent House watching SummerSlam, still over here handling the show, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, you guys have to understand. I could call Lance 30 minutes before this and be like, Lance, I think I want to do a show. Lance, I had this whole thing set up, drop whatever it was he had going to get it done. Like, the dedication level to keeping this happening is the reason that it happens. Tell Brent I said what's up. But all right, uh, remember, if you uh, can't check out the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes Store, subscribe at Stitcher Radio, check us out at SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google Play Store. Talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.